What else is new? Got my flu shot, my vaccine shot. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm not Congratulations. undermining the severity of it. I don't know why I call it a flu shot. It was actually a very efficient process. That's I was good. telling you, rolled up and there was like stations and every station had a sufficient amount of people to guide you through. Yeah. They made me wait 30 minutes in a resting area afterwards. I got, after oh, I got the shot yeah. just to chill. Do you have to answer a bunch of like personal health questions beforehand? Very minor. Like, oh, yo, did you, did you get have COVID? Right. Or are you allergic to anything like regular stuff? But you had to do that when you fill out the form. No, initially, when they when asked me again. They asked me again. Everything felt very systematic well, and they good. just had like the right buttons to push and whatnot. You felt safe the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it was in a gymnasium. Was, was it crowded? No, but I went at 730. So yeah, like 730 PM guys. Yeah. Hong Kong has had an issue with getting people to sign up for the vaccine. Yes. There has been a lack of interest. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, my neighbor's family is from Israel and they said that something like 80% of the population has been vaccinated in Israel. And Israel more than any other country globally right be, now at this point. Because unless you have a vaccination, lots. yeah, if you don't, unless you have a vaccination passport or whatever, they won't let you into the most basic of things like, oh, you want to go into a supermarket or you want to go into oh, a restaurant. that's so interesting. pushes you to want to get it to resume a sense of normalcy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said this to a lot of people off air, which is that I think part of the reluctancy in Hong Kong is that we've had relatively few deaths and serious cases of COVID. And so to the regular person, they kind of evaluate the risk of the shot as being higher than COVID. Yeah. Like whatever happens because of the shot, the side effects. Yeah. They, cause it, there's not as much of this sense of like danger in relation to the virus itself here. And then I think also it's just like not sufficient. I don't know what it is like good press yeah. about yeah. the vaccine. Yeah. So unfortunate, but, um, do you feel comfortable saying on the air that you think people should get vaccinated? Yeah. I mean, the science is largely irrefutable. I, I mean, I agree. So that's yeah. what I was about to say, <laughs> which is that if you're in a position where you can sign up for a vaccination, then we encourage you to do so. Yes. Yeah. Go do that. Because you need 70% vaccination for herd immunity. Yep. 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 All right. So Sharice tied the old knot last week. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm a her and Stan the man officially hitched. Yes, that is true. That's true. Um, just last weekend, thanks to everyone in advance because now I feel like people will message me, which is not the point of this. I was saying that I don't actually know how to tell people or if I need to. I'm not sure. Well, usually people find out on social media, but you never posted. But I never posted, and I'm not sure that we will. So, but then I also yeah, do, I, think you I, do should. Think, you I should, do think it's like a happy thing. You should, you should post it as a illustration. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. I do think it's a happy thing. And I did have a close family friend say that they were, I mean, they were happy for me, but they were also especially happy just to hear good news Yeah. in the sense that like not, not a lot of good things <laughs> seem to happen lately. Yeah. So they were kind of extra um, uplifted. Should I highlight how our friendship almost ended? Oh, yeah. 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 I wasn't going to mention it, but if you want to. So, Sharice had asked me before 
things had started back up if I could shoot her wedding. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. for sure I'll shoot it. And then what <laughs> happened was, <laughs> what happened was. Yeah, what happened? What happened? Yeah. Well, okay. So Hong Kong opened things up again and then sports resumed. And we all know that Eugene here, ex-semi-professional football player, takes his recreational football league very seriously. And they had a match on the same afternoon, unfortunately, exactly yeah. the same time as when my signing was going to happen. Yeah. So he said, don't think I can make it because I'm going to go to this match. And I genuinely have never been so like I personally upset. I felt you. I felt it in the WhatsApp message. I felt it. I, I like we've had <laughs> disagreements about friendly you know, disagreements things like books and creator <laughs> economy books. and nfts and whatever like you know what i yeah, mean like yeah. on this podcast we disagree about the things that we talk about we discuss but this is genuinely the only time so far in our friendship i've been actually like personally upset with eugene yeah um but then i recovered well part of it was just i was but part Rushing of it was just the timing yeah i was like i do actually want photos yeah. of the day yeah. like I don't want to not have photos so I was like now I have to like hurriedly you know contact a bunch of people to see if I can like get another photographer but then once I found someone I you know chilled she yeah. forgave me yeah you know what's yeah. funny is like I think my dad did something similar once <laughs> but it was when when either me or my brother were born I think he went yeah something like that you know but the redeeming thing is that you won the match yeah did you think about that going in? You were like, damn, I better win this match. Otherwise, Sharice is going to be so pissed I never at me. go into a match thinking I'm going to lose. <laughs> That's an alternative take on it. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys won. I'm yeah. glad we had photographers. Shout out to our friends, Willie and Tiffany, um, who wound up photographing the wedding. So, all right. Enough. Uh Lots of personal news. Man, talked about vaccinations and weddings. So we got to move on. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Megan, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. If you like what you hear and want to help us keep going, you can support us on patreon.com slash Let's get into it. All right. My topic this week is Creator Economy versus Newsroom Leadership, A Fight for Talent. And this was written by David Trevdon. Sharice has her hands in the air. I apologize if I pronounced his name incorrectly. The spelling is T-V-R-D-O-N. Yeah. So if you are a listener who recognizes that surname. Please let us know. And I was actually surprised that this was chosen because this was like a personal interest of mine, but I never really expected this to be amongst the front runners for votes. Why not? I don't know. I think that anytime you incorporate journalism, it 
tends to skew a little bit more like business centric. Like it's less general. You know what I mean? Like people don't really like to talk about journalists within newspapers and newspapers in general, but in I my think, opinion. Well, but okay. So when Eugene says he was surprised that this was popular with the votes, he means in our discord with yeah. the Macon community. If you are a Patreon member, you can join our discord and then we put up a list of subjects in advance and you can say which ones you're interested in having us talk about. This yeah. was one of the main ones yeah. picked. And I think it's because a lot of people are making right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And maybe it's also because they're more focused on the creator economy. Yeah. That's the flip side. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are the traditional journalist type, yeah. which I think we're going to talk about like newsrooms, but most, a, a whole bunch of people in Macon do yeah. personal writing. Yeah. I would say that in general, we've seen the rise of the creator economy in the last, call it year or so, maybe 24 months. And before we jump into the article, I want to ask you, what do you think are the main reasons why we've seen a surge around the creator economy and why it's viable and why it's even a, like a catchphrase now? You mean creator co economy in general or specifically in relation to journalism? Mm, Sorry, okay. not necessarily the journalism angle, just in general. There's a couple of reasons I think that are quite obvious. One is the rise of tools that allow people yep, that was to on make my list. money. So just all the different apps and payment gateways, et cetera. Two, there are fewer traditional jobs that are rewarding. So full-time jobs at companies, just generally, mm -hmm. not even newsrooms or anywhere that are attractive to people um, that you know provide enough incentives or motivations to do those. Also, I think there's, even before it could be an economy where people were making money, more and more people have been globally interested in creating things. Yeah. And I would say that's be more than just the last two, three years is like people have been pursuing creative passions increasingly over yeah. time and yeah. being interested in spending more of their life doing that. Those are a couple of the yeah. ones. What I mean, about you? The you ones that I would to add to that are a shift towards content being the primary driver of everything. Sure, yeah. Right? Like everything is content driven. Like how we spend our time is primarily in media related apps, right? TikTok, yeah. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all around content. I'd also say that the reason being is also because content, especially from a marketing standpoint, appears to be a bit more efficient than just straight ads. Although it's not to say they don't blur the lines. There's also a shift for us to embrace this influencer lifestyle. So you know how- Do you mean like on an individual level? Like what used to be, oh, I want to grow up and be an astronaut. Uh, now I want to grow up and be a YouTuber. And I think the last one is a little bit why more- why is that? Well, I, I would say that in general, influencer lifestyles look amazing, right? You talk about things you're passionate about, you love. But I mean, being an astronomer boss. sounds cool. Yeah, it's cool. But I, I mean, look at you going to fancy hotels, eating amazing meals, buying things, consuming things. Maybe it also seems easy. Yeah, maybe. Because it's like, I'm, I'm not saying it is easy. No, no, I, I, I don't. I'm not knocking the people who, you know, work really hard to um, be able to create a sustainable living from the creator economy. But it does appear easy because it's like you're just living your life. Yeah. And the last one I would say is the romantic notion of doing what you love. Yeah. That's something that's, that's been way hammered. beyond just the last two years, though. Yeah, that's been hammered in. And maybe it's because of 
the availability of tools that now one can double down on that. Because when I look at pursuing your dreams and and doing things you love, that arguably is rooted in a sense of individualism, right? Like you're, you as an individual feel you have something to offer the world and you're going to make a living out of it. I mean, th- this last point about the notion of being able to do what you love for work, I think is also really dependent on where you live in the world. Yeah. And so for people like us and in big cities and you have so many options for what to do. And so we have that luxury of imagining. So you're saying someone in a small city has less of a chance to be an influencer? No, I'm not saying that. I think it's like the concept of doing what you love being ingrained in you is more like a part of the water if you're in like a big developed place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. Just the, just that not not that you can't like I'm, I think people in small cities because of the Internet have just as much opportunity, opportunity. But in when you're surrounded by a culture that has like a glut of it or like people pursuing those things and you see that all around you, then. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's, I think that's fair. Yeah. It's just more of your it affects your mindset. But to get this piece back on track, the way it's broken up in this article is several clearly defined and neat subsections. So number one, just the creator economy in general, which we touched upon. And this is uh, an interesting definition by Mark Stenberg of Media Light Newsletter. And he says that the creator economy consists of individuals with unique skill sets using platforms to monetize their craft. I don't disagree with the belief that unique skills are what at play, but I think I, I want to also put an asterisk around this and come back to this towards the end. In addition, there's been a changing environment for content creators. So in the past, journalists could only really go lateral. So you'd go from one unhappy newsroom to another unhappy newsroom, right? You couldn't really set off on your own, which has been the case most recently. I think the one option people could go to was probably YouTube because YouTube had the best monetization tools. So if you were able to go in and create content consistently, that that could be where you would set forth and you know set on your new path outside of a traditional journalistic structure. And now, obviously, if you really wanted to, Sharice could go spend a few hours and set up a Substack at night. Yeah. And then, there you go. Like you're up and running. And I think one thing that's interesting too is that journalists and businesses have changed. Like the way that I look at talent now is probably different than how it was before. There's almost like a reversal of structures. Where in sure. the past, the media company was the rock and then everyone was sort of just like pushing along behind. But I think the opposite is probably true now where the journalists and the writers and the content creators are kind of the stars and they're at the front pulling the media company along with them, mm. right? So they have much more power and they have much more stock than they did prior. And I, I'm very curious why that is. It might be because their ability to leverage their personality in places outside of the media company. I mean, I think it's true at big newsrooms. Like we've seen that change at the Washington Post or New York Times, LA Times, like places of that size. But I would argue that it is not true for local newspapers and news groups. You think so? I think it's just because we're not in those locales, we can't see it. Maybe. Because my argument is that you are forced, relatively speaking, to write about certain things when you work for a brand, which is the newspaper. Mm. But your ability to leverage your personality and your insights are 
unhinged in a good way when you're able to utilize your own publishing platforms, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, and you know how there's often the bio line that says, these tweets are my own thoughts or whatever, right? Yeah, and that's I mean, to de-risk them. Okay, yeah, maybe, but I also kind of doubt it because the reason why individual journalists at those big papers become their own brand they can set out on their own period is because they have like national global attention versus like if you are you know a reporter yeah. for either would say in relative some terms, small yeah. town yeah. paper then yeah the people in the small town probably know who you are but you don't have enough of an audience to like make it out on your own potentially yeah you're right yeah. well i think that in having said that it's a multi-phase approach where you might be a up-and-coming journalist, you get plugged into the New York Times, which, as you mentioned, increases your profile. You can then double down on that increased profile with your own self-published thoughts on Twitter, and then eventually you get to a point where you're bigger than the New York Times and you leave. One thing that Casey Newton says, who used to be over at The Verge and now does his own newsletter, he said that the long-term solution for this is for publishers to create incentive models for the employees that have uncapped upside, allowing journalists to capture more of the value they are creating while also giving them the benefits that solo hustlers like me are now living without. That arrangement could involve shared revenue on a newsletter or YouTube sponsorships or podcast ads, but the upside has to be unlimited and it has to reflect some portion of the value that the journalist creates. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about I, businesses changing from the creator side, but we haven't really talked about also how businesses have changed from the news group side, which is, I think, to a lot of journalists is discouraging. How many times have we talked about cuts, right? Yeah. You know, we used to talk about it more, but then it just got repetitive to talk about every different. And maybe it slowed down a bit. Publication. I think the cuts no, there were there there have been equally as many. I just stopped. Sending counting. them. <laughs> Just yeah. stop counting them. <laughs> so that's depressing, right? Yeah. If you're a journalist, it's, it's really not. Why would you stay? You know, yeah. you see there's no budget here. Um, my the bosses or the people who own this paper don't really care. To, billionaires. Yeah, exactly. They're not putting money into this. Like I could do better work on my own. So I, I forgot to mention Casey Newton started the platformer, which is his Substack newsletter. But I think to that point. You're now seeing media companies almost change from media companies to talent management companies. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah. You don't disagree, right? Because Well, it, I mean, in some I don't ways, know. Well, you, letting, you just kind of switch. There's a distinction between a media company and like a newspaper. Make that distinction for me, please. Okay. Like I think newspapers are breaking news that have to do reporting on the ground. I would say that should be the main core of a newsroom. Let's say a crime happens, then they have to actually send people to go speak to the people on the scene, eyewitnesses, victims, police. Okay, the, all of this like actual field work and then mm -hmm. turn that into a piece of writing that lets people know like this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's, super, it's not necessarily glamorous work. And then media companies, when we use that term, it's more general. Yeah. I think it inc it includes newspapers, which often have like culture desks as well and food and beverage, et cetera. But when we say media companies, it also includes things like The Cut and The Verge and BuzzFeed, which do a whole bunch of things that are not breaking news. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just think that's, I think that the way they monetize and what readers go to them for is different. Well, I guess back to Casey Newton's point about unlimited upside. That's where 
to me, it sounds a little bit like a talent management slash shell of sorts. Because sure. if you're a singer or an entertainer, it's kind of on you to put out work that is sufficiently interesting so that what was a recording deal or what was like a sponsorship deal for 10,000 now is 100,000, it's now a million. So at most, the publishing company or the media company, which is now, like I said, the talent company is taking a set percentage. They'll take no more than 15%. I mean, when you say talent company, it sounds kind of strange. Like I think of like YG. Yeah. Like that's where my mind goes. But talent is a creator. Question to you. Yeah. Don't you think companies should be nurturing individuals anyway? Any company, any company in an ideal scenario, you hire individuals and you actually want to see those individuals. You're shaking that's your head. That's a nice thought, but I don't think that's the reality, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm sorry. But I'm, I'm apologizing to myself for my pure naivete. <laughs> but structurally, I think it's hard to set up a business like that, like to switch over because your company is built off of a set of expenses, right? And mm-hmm. I would say, but... You actually go much leaner when you flip it around. Mm-hmm. Like when you go the realm of this talent management thing, it's kind of an eat what you kill type approach. For example, if no work comes in, no one gets paid versus on the flip side, like you kind of have a stability and balance and you know that someone's earnings are capped for the most part, at least for the for a quarter or at least for a year. So I think that's kind of why it's a little bit different. And also on the flip side, if you were to run this sort of creator slash writer talent management program you would potentially leave people out in the dark because they just wouldn't have a space they weren't yeah. they wouldn't be talented enough they yeah. might they might need not everyone is a star exactly and not everyone will be a star on day one they need a structure and, and also maybe not everyone is a star period in the sense of i'm not trying to say like people are not special but i'm trying to say like not everyone can be a star in the creator economy that exists yeah. right now and also they shouldn't have to be you know what i think you know of? what i mean like yeah you know, whether newsrooms or media companies, I think of the business of like writing and producing content to be something that is better when it's a group effort. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking of? I think of, well, you've mentioned group effort. And I'm not going to necessarily build off of that point, but it's, it's fine. It, it, it reminds me of Destiny's Child, <laughs> right? And the reason why is because they all started as Destiny's Child and then they were able to break off onto their own. And some had more successful careers than others. Beyonce? Yeah. I mean, Kelly Rowland was okay, like kind of mid-tier, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, no. I mean, I'm not knocking, you know, any individual person, but- Do we need to explain who Destiny's Child is? You think most people know? Destiny's Child is was an American girl group started in 1990. Known Whoa, for the 1990? Hit. Yeah. Dude, that's a long ass that's time ago. That's a long time ago. And the- I didn't really know this because I obviously just know the final formation, but they had different combinations of people before ultimately being Beyonce Knowles, Kelly Rowland, and Michelle Williams. And known for such hits as Bootylicious, which is now playing in the back of my head. (laughs) Thank you. We can't play that clip. We can't afford it. No, yeah, we can. Just play for five seconds. Yeah, okay. So yeah, there are some Beyonce Knowles, but it doesn't mean that the other two people weren't important, you know? Yeah, of course. So the last concluding paragraph in this piece by David says, but the creator economy versus newsroom battle for talent comes down to one thing. Management has to recognize those individuals, nurture them, and give them tools to translate their added value into added benefit, which 
is somewhere in the middle ground of what you and I have discussed, right? But you know what? I, I think that amidst all this, there has to be the understanding that on one's professional trajectory, there is no permanence. Like we should just be okay with the fact that someone will come in to your company through your doors and the expectation should never be that they'll stay for ever. Yeah. They'll stay for two years, a year, whatever it may be. It's about maximizing your relationship in that period of time. Well, I mean, when you say there's no permanence, I would also add that even if you move from a media company to being an independent creator, that doesn't mean you have to be there forever. Yeah. In general, the thing to say about careers is that nothing is necessarily going to be from now until you retire. The one thing I did want to touch upon was, and it's, it's returning to that point, it's that point about the unique skills that individuals provide. So for example, you personally actually are a good representation because you have done both the business thing, you've done freelance, so you know what things are handled for you when you work in either or. And I don't think everyone is cut out for the bullshit that comes when you run your own business, even as a solo entrepreneur, yeah. right? And I think that's the one thing that is probably glossed over because it's the things no one really wants to talk about. I like, told people so much while I was a freelancer that I don't necessarily recommend it. Like you love certain parts I'll of freelancing, but there are certain it. things you dislike about it. Oh, yeah. It's about the fact there's no sort of set hours. Who's going to handle your finances, marketing, all a lot of these things are down to a department, right? Well, a person or a department that handles yeah. it for you. And now you have to do all of it. While still creating amazing work. Yeah. It's also challenging because if you're at a, the lower end and you're just starting out, I'm lower, I mean, just in terms of visibility and however, which sure. way you make your money, right? Le just less established. You, you cannot outsource that to the same extent as, let's say, someone who leaves the Wall Street Journal with 400,000 followers on Twitter and yeah. suddenly spins up a business overnight. Or you could probably hire a PA off the exactly, bat. Exactly. So I think that's one of the interesting things. And as I think about it, I, I do believe that talent and the way talent is nurtured takes shape in many different ways. I'll just use sports analogies, right? Because that's what I know best. Yep. But there are some players who at the age of 17 will start for the first team because they're that amazing. And there's other players who will play you know, through the academy, under 19s, under 23s, whatever. But it doesn't mean that when they graduate out of that at the age of 24, that they're a dud. They mm -hmm. just took a little bit longer, right? Yeah. They just had to take a different route to achieve a certain level of success. And we've, we all agree, you can't have a thousand superstar whatevers. There's only going to be a few. So the reality is that everyone's path, and this could be independent of this whole creator economy thing, right? Everyone's path will go different routes. I think ultimately most people that create content have generally speaking the same goal and that's about creating things they're passionate about. I, I would say, especially in the world of writing, right? And journalism, like if you're not passionate about it, yeah, there's that's easier really ways, hard. there are easier ways to make money. This battle can wage on, but at the same time, it's almost a non-battle because it's more so that the people at the top are just being able to leverage their talent. And I, let's put it this way. It's, I don't know if companies of a larger scale are so top heavy and dependent on one superstar journalist that it drives the majority of their subscriptions. Probably not. Probably not, right? So what it means, if you play your cards right, you might churn, you might shed 
a superstar journalist once a year. Yeah. But you're hopefully building up new ones as you go, providing a platform, providing opportunities. Because one thing that's also true is that to a degree, when you email someone and your name is at whatever, like a let's say Wall Street Journal, let's say Complex or Hypebeast, whatever, you have an instant in. But when you email from a Gmail, you email from like some platform no one's ever heard of before, it becomes increasingly more difficult. I was about to say, I bet there is um, kind of a symbiotic relationship between those all stars and big publications anyway, where even after you become, you know, your own independent, self-sustaining business, you still contribute to publications. Yeah. It's just that you're not like beholden to them. Yeah. Well, vice versa. Neither of you have like an ongoing agreement, but you probably still publish together in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all I really have to say. I, I think that maybe it's a non-issue in terms of this huge battle playing out because the reason being is that if you come out of journalism school or you're like, you want to create today, I, I think it's actually quite difficult for you to spin up a proper business and that's why it's okay to leverage the consistent paycheck of working in something that's a little bit more established, whether it is a media company, whether it is a brand. Shall we move on? In a continuation of the creator economy subject, that's the theme of this episode. My subject comes from the New York Times, written by Taylor Lawrence. It's called For Creators, Everything is for Sale. Subheading, digital stars are coming up with new ways to make money, yet fans still hold the power. What this is about is there's a bunch of new apps that allow anyone to monetize every aspect of their life. So this actually is interesting. It goes even more beyond unique skills or creating anything to just this idea that you can make money by living, like by just going about living your life or that that's a fantasy that it's possible. Yeah. So I don't think we need to establish more about the creator economy since this first subject was about how it's grown and it's competitive. Lots of people are attempting it. The reason why I was interested in the subject is because I'd already heard about the app that this article talks about, New New. And it's made a lot of buzz in the last month or so because it describes itself as a human stock market. Yeah. Which I don't know if I would choose those words if it's I was weird. like the well, way they market themselves. I mean, can you explain in greater detail what one can do through the yes. app? Yes. Okay. So on New New, fans pay to vote in polls to control day to day decisions of their creators. So, for example, you could post two outfits and say, which outfit should I wear today? And then the fans that are paying money have the power, have more influence on what their vote counts for. Okay, Mm. and then you technically don't have to do what they say. Like there's nowhere in the app that says you must do the thing that people paid you to do yeah but in general it is in the interest of people on new new to do the thing because if you don't do what's been voted upon then arguably it's not it doesn't fall in line with the mechanics it's like what's the point of voting if people wouldn't keep giving you money exactly i I don't think yeah Yeah, exactly if you just didn't do what they said so by giving people a choice you're basically saying okay i'm willing to do 
the thing that people said. And there is an example, which um, is in this article. There's a TikToker with 3.3 million followers. He's only the age of 15, but I don't even know the average age of TikTok stars. That kind of leaped out to me. Okay, his name is Love Cameron. And this is a quote from the video. He says, have you ever wanted to control my life? Now is your time. You can actually control things I do throughout the day and vote on it. And then I will show you if I end up doing the stuff you voted for. And then he asks everyone to vote whether he should play dodgeball or catch with his friends. And when he was interviewed for this New York Times article, he said he actually wanted to play catch because he thought dodgeball would ruin his yard. But everyone voted dodgeball, so they played dodgeball. So in that very minor example, I'm already like depressed about this because I know it's such a small thing. It's just like catch a dodgeball. But he still wound up doing the thing he didn't want to do. And the reality is that we've seen this happen in, in the creator economy where you're continually pushing the boundaries in search of more monetization, more likes, engagement, whatever it may be. You remember how last week we talked about authenticity mm-hmm. in what you're sharing? And then the author said you need to be able to disconnect the thing that you put out in the world from your physical self. Well, Nunu makes that impossible because your your actions are actually dictated by people. I don't know why I'm so bummed out about this, but I think it's just like this difference between creating something like a piece of writing or a video or art versus the actual choice I make today. On on the very superficial, I think it's it's like whack. It's terrible. But if I start looking further into it from a more profound call, like philosophical tip, I wonder if it's totally fine. And what I mean is that if you, the guy, what's the guy's name? Love Cameron. Love Cameron. Like honestly, as a 15 year old, you probably don't know the ramifications. Like you probably haven't thought this out. I don't think anyone is because it's such a new form of content creation monetization that no one really knows what psychological effects this will have. But yeah. then again, you do know what happens when you do not have free will, right? Because this is basically yeah. puts into puts into question your free will because you can't really act the way you want to act. I would probably lean into the belief that if you don't have free will, it could mess up your life in some psychological way. But at the same time, free will is very relative. Like I think some people, depending on how much free will they've been given, might never actually question how much freedom they have. And that gets really political because I would say that in general... I mean, I did not think about this philosophical tip at all. Oh, I was totally thinking about this because I was thinking about like, this is in many ways a way someone wants to make money there. I mean, if I'm going to be very, very honest, this is basically like a lifestyle prostitute in a way because basically you are putting yourself out there and people are paying money to do what they want to do with you. That's wild. Right? Let's put it that way. But on the same note, well, let's put it this way. Like I'm 99.9% certain most people that are in that world probably would prefer to get out you know like they it's not this is not their preferred choice whether this is different or not i don't i don't know what it's gonna look like in 10 years if some guy's been doing it forever maybe it's maybe there are boundaries right but what what i'm trying to get at is that if they have a sufficient amount of like understanding of what they're getting into maybe it's not the worst thing okay i didn't prepare for this conversation to go towards sex workers but well, it I, is different yeah, because yeah. this is polls. Yeah. Versus if I am a sex worker, I have constantly a, an ability to negotiate yeah. with 
clients about what I'm willing to do, what my boundaries are. Yeah. But the pull element leaves leaves more out of my control because it's I'm just presenting two choices mm-hmm. and then I don't I have no idea what yeah. the end result is. I'm not part of that decision making process. I, agree with that. I guess for me, I'm just very cognizant of the slippery slope. What happens when the performance becomes a very important determinant of the outcome. You know, we've talked about this before. We we are in some ways on the hook because we let people influence the editorial in terms of what we talk about. I did but, think about that. But those are very defined parameters. I do wonder like, you know, what what that could look like where today it was like dodgeball versus playing catch. Tomorrow it's like, I don't know, I'm making this up. Like, do I eat the world's spiciest pepper or do I eat like... Yeah. I don't know, a pig brain or something, like some sort of like fear factor type approach. No, no. Because you can almost guarantee that someone's going to be willing to go to those depths. Yeah. So that's why I think it's a very fast race to like, what's the word? Sensationalizing? Well, it's sensationalizing and it's definitely dehumanizing. But then again, if the money's worth it, then who am I to say whether or not it's just like there's going to be longer term ramifications that we don't know. When I try to be charitable, like when I'm trying to think about new, new from where is the positive in this, I do think it's a good thing that there are new platforms being made. And this is generous, I think, for me to say. So beyond new, new, that there are other platforms for people to experiment with making money other yeah. than the usual culprits of like YouTube and Substack. So that's a positive to me. And this article does talk about other tech startups that are similar to Nunu. Yeah. So we could go into that to talk about that. Yeah. They're not as like, yeah, they're they're not quite as sensational yeah. as what Nunu proposes, but there's an app like PearPop, which allows fans to pay for interactions yeah. from people. So you could pay Eugene $200 to comment on your video. Or that's kind of like Cameo, right? Yeah, it's like Cameo. Very, very similar. But instead, it's like a like social platform interaction. Well, I wonder if I'm just totally jumping off the deep end and looking at this in the most negative light possible. Maybe, what I mean? Maybe. I thought about the negative things too. So it's just why I was intentionally trying to think about the positive yeah. things. The idea of these sort of decentralized organizations that can make decisions as a collective are really interesting, right? It's almost as though it's what the future of the internet is going to be. But I think the big difference there is that these are broader community initiatives that impact all of us. This is one thing that on the flip side is arguably for entertainment purposes. But then again, what happens if he, the creator is just pushing out a slightly different approach where like, hey, should I talk about pumpkins or apples today? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we're just thinking about it in this really, like you said, in a dehumanizing way, but it could be, you know, the way we approach making it up topics. Right. Yeah. This actually isn't that far-fetched from something that actually has happened before. Because you know Justin Can, right? No relation. No. The guy who started Twitch? No. Okay. So if you, maybe if you, since you have a computer in front of you, Google Justin Can uh, live stream. Because basically, I don't know how long ago, he basically live streamed his whole life. And that was right before the creation and launch of Twitch. Oh, he live casted his daily life for eight months. Yeah. And I, see if maybe just do a quick search and see if people were allowed to make decisions because he knew people were commenting and people were on the live stream. OK, you could. I'm sure there was like a soft influence. Yeah. In terms of comments, but not so direct. 
I mean, I mean, in that way, Twitch is a soft influence too. In general, yeah. uh, slash, slash any paid platform, right? Like we already said, like we have a Patreon. People pay money, and then they talk to us on Discord, and they make suggestions of what to talk about. So there is a relationship between money and what we decide to do. Yeah, but I think there's that. Again, I've already said this. There's this distinction between like the subject material of making something versus doing something in your life like what meal you eat or what friend you see that kind of thing yeah Yeah. so i think that's the boundary but obviously nunu could be used in that content type of way i'm just gonna mention another app i don't know what to call it i I think it's a website actually called clout market which i thought was interesting and funny so what it is is it's millions of nfts representing top creators and each NFT is a trading card of a creator influencer with parody names and like pixelated photos. So I thought it was quite, it's quite creative, yeah. I think, as a project. And then you can basically bet on different influencers. So like each person is stock, essentially. And the price goes up and down depending on their yeah. analytics from different social platforms. Yeah. And the way the founder, the creator, talks about it, his name is Elijah Daniel, is that you can make money off of the drama. So you know how like YouTube, <laughs> in particular, like in the world of YouTube makeup artists, yeah, the, there's a lot of like I'm back and forth drama that, that most- More than I should most, be. Are you really? It's like something, they, they call it T, right? Or something, spelling the T. I mean, I don't know the specifics. I'm familiar with it. I'm trying not to laugh because I want you to try to drop more slang that you've learned from. Yeah. Anyway. And Was I right though? Yeah, you are right. Spilling General, the tea. Generally, yep. audience, like people who watch these videos, think that they're like in cahoots, essentially. Oh, just create drama. It's like yes. the WWE wrestling. Creating drama gets views and like gets you trending, essentially, like so and so. And so Elijah Daniel says, well, if they're going to make money, I think we should make money too from like placing our attention on this subject. Yeah. So I'm kind of into that. I mean, this whole thing is very dystopian, very Black Mirror-esque. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what what might be $5 to make a bet vote, I don't know how much it costs, right? Like, someone has unlimited amounts of money to potentially get you to do something. I mean, this is like referencing, yeah, another episode where we talked about self-worth, right? Yeah. The relationship between money and how we perceive ourselves is already really close. Yes. Just by like the salary you get. These types of apps, it's like one-to-one. Like you have a dollar sign on your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually super, super valid. I don't really know like how you're going to work through that. I just think it's a very dangerous opportunity when this is how you make your money. But I, I just don't know. Like we said, we, we can make a guess on like psychological effects, but we don't, we don't know for yeah. sure because it's just been happening. But also, it does go back to what we discussed too: is that there's no way that every single person that engages in this will make a ton of money, right? So for some people to just fall off, you just have massive amounts of churn of someone that hears about the app today and downloads it next week and tries to make something of it but maybe they're just not interesting enough or they don't gain traction yeah i mean that's why new platforms are important like i looked up another article on this subject it's from vox and the author makes the same point which is that you have these like top one percent of influencers on any given platform whether that's twitch or OnlyFans or new new 
and then everyone else makes pennies. Pennies on the dollar. So then you need new platforms so that people can go there and try to become, you know, rich off of that one instead. Because it's unlikely that you're going to shake. Yep, exactly. The person at the top of the existing platform. Yeah, like a great example is Clubhouse. Like I have a friend that I was talking to who was very consistent on it. And it got to a point where people were willing to pay him $500 just to appear because by virtue of him appearing in a room, it would notify his followers as a push notification. Oh, wow. So he got to a point where he's like, oh, like there are things that I don't want people to know that I'm interested in. Or like maybe maybe I want to enter a conversation around taking care of pets. And I don't want my followers to know that that's what I'm into right now or that's what I want to hear more about. Yeah. It's like another side economy in sort in a way. Would you experiment with some of these apps? I don't think so because I would probably put very clear definitive parameters around it and no one would pay you money. Or the per- but the parameters themselves would probably be insufficiently interesting. Well, what I was thinking too is like I definitely am not at a point where I need to like get clout or to Well, you know where <laughs> this is kind of stupid. Maybe it'd be like consumer differences. Like, or sorry, maybe it were a place where it could work is maybe consumer driven decisions. Right? What do you mean? For example, like buy this or that and then do a review on it. Like that's oh. something I think could be very well encapsulated. There's not any like danger. It's like, hey, you're a you're like a above average vlogger and yeah. you review cars or you yeah. review cameras. Like, hey guys, what what should I review next? Yeah. Right. Your vote also is your support for the creation of the piece. Yeah. So I guess in I mean, some that ways that's, to that's kind of what tokens material. are these days. Yeah. yeah. Um, the content material. But you do have some clout. Like I do. I mean, okay, not, sorry, not a lot. But let's say you were on Cameo or Pear Pop. Maybe people would pay you money to comment on people's posts or Send them a 30-second birthday message. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I have, I do think a lot about how I, wa- I prefer to make money. Win the and lotto? I, wa- I, like, I prefer to make money in non-public facing ways. That makes sense. It does. It does make sense. Like I just don't like the pressure that comes with visibility and how much money you make, which is baffles my mind. Like some of these people on YouTube, obviously... Some of it is like a Ponzi scheme, but some of it is really like, (laughs) hey, you know what? This is how much I made last week trading stocks. This is how much I did doing that, right? Like when everything's out in the air, I think it changes how you view humanity because humanity views you differently. Yeah. I think that's a good place to cap things off. Yeah, another kind of depressing one, hey? Was it? I don't know. Middle ground, I think. Middle ground depression. Middle ground depression. Just your average degree of sadness today. Yeah. All right. Good place to wrap things up. If you are interested in hearing more about making, reading, and listening to some of our stories focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at makin.com. M-A-E-K-A-N.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at sharice at or eugene at eugene at We love hearing from you. 
I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.